Good morning. What a, what a blessed service we've enjoyed so far. We go home now, but we won't. Uh, when I heard that testimony there in the, in the baptismal, I don't know if, if you had the same uh, feeling, but when our, our, our sister in Christ shared the, the one decision that she had to make, the only decision she had to make to, uh, to continue in the life that she was living, uh, to confess that uh, Jesus is not Lord. I, I had tingles down my spine. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is God. He is our Savior. Uh, we, we, we work with the people in Tanzania who chant, God is not a father, and he does not have a son. God is not a father, and he does not have a son. What a, what a, what a dark... A dark chant with, without hope. But we have hope. And we have life inside of us. Uh, these people, their name is the, is the Rafiji people. Uh, they live in Tanzania, in, uh, in, the, in the center of authentic Africa. Uh, they, they live in, a, in an area, uh, a buffer zone. A buffer zone between the, the wilds of, of Tanzania, the wilds of Africa... Uh, what, what, you, what you would expect to, to see. You know, your idea of Africa is where they live, where the lions, where the elephants roam. Uh, that's the center of Tanzania, the largest game reserve in, in the whole continent. They live as a buffer zone uh, around, this, around this game reserve, 80 kilometers. The Rafiji people, there's 400,000 of them, uh, for, for many years listed as unreached, unengaged with uh, the gospel of Christ. I told a South African friend that um, I was explaining the area that we live, and he said, well, I don't understand this, this buffer zone idea. He said, uh, don't, uh, don't you have fences? Don't they put a big fence around this game reserve? Because in South Africa, of course, we put a big fence to keep the lions in the, in the reserve and the people on the other side of this fence, and, and they don't mingle. I said, no, in Tanzania, we don't do the same thing. We just put a tribe around this people, 80 kilometers, and, and eventually the lions and the elephants, they get the idea, and they don't, they don't wander into civilization. Uh, so that's the area that we live in. Uh, our people and my family, we are the buffer between the wild and, and the civilized of Tanzania. Uh, and 50 years ago, this, uh, this ministry, uh, it, it actually started uh, 50 years ago. There was a group of, uh, of Swedish uh, me medical missionaries, uh, the Church of Sweden, they, they claim this area that, that God would be, that God's name would be great in this area, that they, would, that they would say, Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord, God is a Father and He does have a Son, that that is what they would say. And so they moved into this area, into the heart of the Fiji, 80 kilometers in, they moved into this area, uh, that they might start a, a clinic, a, a, a hospital. How much this would have affected the area. They die of the, of the simplest things in the area. This hospital would have literally saved their lives, but, but more importantly, spiritually, they would have had rescue uh, be, because of what this church wanted to do in this area. And they, they were given the permission. They, they were granted the go-ahead to move into the heart of the Fiji, to build their hospital, to bring hope, and to bring life until one of the members of the elder council uh, of this Rafiji tribe in central Tanzania found out that this group of medical missionaries found out that they were Christian. And when they found out that, they said, we want nothing to do with you. 
We revoke the, the, the blessing, the favor we've given you. You have no permission to plant your hospital in this area. We choose death. We do not choose life. We choose death. And that's how, that's how it stayed. This, this hospital, they planted themselves on the fringe, on the outside of the Rafiji, one of the top hospitals in Tanzania, but they didn't get into the heart of the Rafiji. Until five years ago, God opened up a door in the heart of the Rafiji. Uh, my wife and I, we wandered into the area. It's a long story, but a man makes his plans and the Lord guides his steps. So we wandered into the area, uh, and, and the open door was for us to start a safari camp. Uh, given that that's the, that's the, the dynamic of the area. Uh, and through this safari camp, we were able to establish a mission to, to the once unreached refugee who are no longer unreached uh, by the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, this magazine tells all the stories about it. Uh, and, and so much so that uh, we are now uh, recruiting more people, uh, not just in our village, but in other villages in the refugee, are opening up their doors for us to, to do God's ministry and God's work there. And so right now I'm going to play a, a quick video. Uh, the video is 25 minutes long, but we're not going to play the whole video. We're just going to play the first three minutes of this video. These are the first two people that came to work with my, my wife and myself to, to serve at a school, uh, to teach English in the heart of the refugee that we built. Uh, they were their missionaries. God did so much with them. Uh, I'm going to play the first three minutes of, of this interview because uh, uh, we are recruiting. We are recruiting. Uh, we are so thankful for this church, Calvary Baptist, for, for how much love you've given us, for how much support. Uh, you are part of this ministry. This is your ministry uh, that, that I present today. And so we are recruiting. And I want you to watch the first three minutes of this. If God touches you, if God moves in you, after the service, there's about 10 minutes after the service for you to run, run and grab your kitties. Then you come back, and we're going to play the whole video, and, and maybe God is moving in you, in you to uh, join us in Tanzania. So uh, let's play that first three minutes. My name is Max. This is my, my wife, Lisha. Um, and the last six months we've been living in Mloka, a little village in Tanzania close to the Salu. What I think of Mloka, Mloka is in Tanzania. Um, it's on the east region. It's a coastal region. It's a very um, Muslim population. Um, out here we're in the bush. Um, there's the Salu game reserve right there, and so there's, there's many animals. You hear the hippos at night. Um, there's elephants that come into the village. Yeah, I think Mloka is a, is a, a, a village. I think about 3,000 people live here. So there's that, more than that. That, that surprised like me. That surprised me. Somewhere between three and 5,000. Yes. Um, but the number surprised me when I first came and you come here. It's, it's still very primitive. The living yeah. is, uh, you know, very simple, even mud huts. Mm -hmm. uh, people cook over open fires. Mloka is just a tiny rural village really in the middle of nowhere like the the biggest next city is Kibiti and you have to take a really long bush bumpy road uh, to get down here so it's um, very far in the middle of nowhere and I mean it's it's beautiful here I mean the people are beautiful the nature is beautiful. Uh, we uh, are a couple from Canada although I'm originally from Germany mm -hmm. but we were sent by a Red Alban Baptist Church to work Nova. with East Africa River Mission mm -hmm. uh, to be teachers here in Loka in the Rafiji. Uh, we've been uh, teaching teaching English at a school that Becca and Son Safari built for the village. English school has been a really cool way to get to know 
um, the people because you have one-on-one -on -one time with them. Um, you get to know their stories, the reasons they want English. A big part of our job description was, was teaching English um, and also making connections with the village. People really value it, they really enjoy coming to class, people are really committed. Um, people have definitely improved in just the six months we've been here. They came with very few sentences, very little English, maybe some words, and, and now we can call them on the phone, they can say full sentences, they can explain what they mean, what they feel. So to be immersed in this culture has been um, really challenging, but, but really eye-opening, I think. Um, yeah, you just you see a different way of living, from the way people communicate, to the way they greet each other, to the way they cook, the way they raise their kids, everything is very different, so it opens your, your perspective and um, allows you to see a, a different culture and different way of life, and um, it changes you. Turn with, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Job. Job, Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons, three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, does, God, does, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. He will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your little hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of God. Now there was a day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck them down, the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups, made a raid on the camels and took them and struck them down to the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. 
Then Job arose. He tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came into my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. This, uh, this passage, this, this book, in God's Word, has been one of the toughest uh, books of the Bible for me to reconcile. One of the toughest books for me to, to understand. You see, when, 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 I read, when I read the Word of God and I read what God is doing through His man, doing to His man, I, I, I put my feet, I try to put my feet into this man's shoes so that I might understand what God is telling me. So that I might understand how God wants to lead my, how God wants me to lead my family in light of what He has given me here, but I don't want to put my feet into the shoes of Job. Uh, his possessions, his money, uh, he lost that all. But uh, but who really cares? You know, money money grows on trees. It literally grows on trees. But but his children, his children. I I love. I love my three little children. I, I, I love my Lukumai, I love my Bowen, and I love my Ruby May far more than I care about myself. Well, in, uh, in our ministry, in our work in, in Tanzania with the Rafiji tribe, uh, we have a safari camp. There, there's much building uh, to be done. And we hire locals from the village. Sometimes we have 20 or 30 folks from the village from all over the Rafiji bringing supplies and working with us. And every morning before we, before we start work, we sit down to have breakfast and we read the Word of God. We read these little New Testaments that we have. We've gone through the New Testament three or four times now with, with some of our workers. And I tell you that the Word of God uh, never returns to him void. Never. Uh, one of our workers, his name is uh, Indago. Indago is one of uh, the older uh, members of the, of the Rafiji, a true Rafiji citizen. Uh, and he, he's one of our night guards. And he's a very good night guard because um, his eyes are very spread apart. He has one eye on this side of the head and one eye on this side of the head. So he can almost see in 360 degrees. He makes him very qualified for this position. Uh, but um, <clears throat> Indago, his son, uh, his son Musa, his son Musa, which in Islam, this tribe is Islamic, they're animistic, they're full of witchcraft and, and, and Islamic influence. Uh, his son's name is Musa, which means Moses, uh, the Muslim name for Moses. His son Musa was sick, very sick. And so he said, Mr. Baker, you have to, you have to come to, to my house. You, you have to see my son. And so I went with Indago. To, to this house, just a little mud and stick house with a thatched roof, typical of the area. And I, and I went into this house and, and I saw his son Musa, 20-something years old, but he, but he weighed the son as, the, the, he was weighing the same as my son. Uh, my son is seven years old, uh, just stick and bones. And, uh, and so I, I, held, I held Musa's hand and, and I, I prayed for him. And, and, and he looked up at me and he said, save me. You have to save me. I, I went out uh, of that house, and, and I rejoined uh, my, my worker, my night guard, Indago, and I said, Indago, what is going to be done for your son? What are you going to do? And he said, well, we've called the witch doctor, the most powerful witch doctor from Kenya, 
is coming down all the way to Tanzania to our little village. He should be arriving uh, later this evening. And I, I turned to Indago, and I, and I was looking. Close to the house, there was just a little house made of cement, a very small house made of cement, painted over in red stripes, which is supposed to symbolize blood. Not a big enough house for anybody to live. But they build these houses all throughout the Rafiji in their villages to house the demons of the village, to, to pay respect to them and to give them a house. This is right next to the house where, where Musa was dying. And so I pointed over at this little demon house, and I said, Indago, you need to know. You need to know that the inhabitants of that little house and the one who is coming from Kenya does not love your son. He does not care for your son. They do not care for your son, nor do they ultimately have the power to save your son. I said, you know that we've been reading through the book of James. And what does the book of James say in Dago? That you can't serve two masters. You can't try God and also try Satan. It doesn't work. God does not accept it. You must turn away from Satan and serve God wholeheartedly if you want God to rescue your son. I said, what you need to do, this witch doctor that's coming to your house, pay him for his trouble, pay him for his travel, but do not let him near your son. Well, I got word in the morning that, uh, that Indago had, had dismissed the, the witch doctor, had sent the witch doctor away, which just it's an amazing and incredible thing for our village. I mean, the, even, even the responsibility now that he was taking upon his shoulders in a village that, that completely believes and fears the demons is terrified of them. Uh, so I, I remembered that hospital that I tell you about, that hospital that was built on the edge of the Rafiji by the Swedish missionaries. I said, we need to take your son to that hospital. So we carried Musa, Ndago, my, my one staff member, my one Christian staff member, Moses. So Moses and Musa and Ndago both left for Mchukwi uh, to, be, to be helped at this hospital. And I, I have a series of messages here. Uh, they, they communicated back to me uh, over the days uh, while they were at the hospital. I'm going to read some of the uh, updates that I received. Habari Zaleo, uh, Mr. Bossi. Uh, you don't have to call me that. <laughs> Wazima. Sisi had to jumble. We're doing well. No problems. Indago's son had got treatment, surgery yesterday. They sent him direct to the theater after measurements shows that he has a problem in his stomach. And they said during surgery, they found the stomach has two holes. Intestines has bursted. Therefore, it was pouring food and other dirties uh, onto inside of himself. But they have cleaned it, add more blood, but up to now he's doing fine. The doctors say he will not take food nor water in 72 hours. Started from yesterday after surgery. He's sleeping in the hospital instead of food. They are giving him many drips of water and other medicines. The next day, Habari Zaleo, uh, Buonabasi. How is your day, Buonabasi? We are doing fine. Moose is fine. He's continuing with treatments. They have taken off the pipes for breathing, cleaning of the stomach. He remained with one for drips of water and two for stomach drainage. We asked them when we could be allowed to leave. They said they will give us an answer today evening. The next update. Habari Zaleo, how is your day? Musa had been returned back to the theater today afternoon after it seems that he has a small leakage part, but they have reopened, they fixed for now, and they have returned him back to the treatment room. Habari Zasabui, how is your morning? We have woken up fine. Musa has also woken up yesterday night. They have connected his oxygen machines to help him in breathing, but in this morning he's okay, although he can't talk much because of tiredness and medicines for, their, uh, for sleeping they injected in him. 
during the time they sent him to the theater. But we hope that later he will be good. And then the message the next day. Mr. Mr. Boss, so sad and so pain, Musa has passed away. Kabadiz Asabui, the car for taking the body, has arrived here at the hospital. Therefore, they will take and go bury in Kipungura village, the place where Ndago's family is from. Well, I suppose you didn't expect the story to end like that. And that is not the end of the story. That knocked, uh, that knocked the wind out of me when, when, I received, uh, when I received that message. Why would God do that? Why would God move in that way? Well, how did Job, how did God respond to Job? In verse 38, God answers Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and its thick darkness its swaddling band? And prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no further. Here shall your proud waves be stayed. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, Here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? The title of my message this morning is Why We Do What We Do. Why do we do what we do? in the Rafiji, in East Africa, and to the ends of the earth. And my first point, in keeping with the story and, and this word from the book of Job, why do we do what we do? Because God is not safe, but he is good. His promises are good. I don't know why God did what he did in Indago's situation, but I know Every single time in the five years that we've been serving in the bush, and we look back, we understand why God did what he did. We see his hand, his good hand. He's not safe. If you think you're serving a safe God, then read your Bible again. He is not safe, but he is good. That is why we do what we do. Second reason why we do what we do. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. It's page 1201 in my Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, 
who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why do we do what we do? Because we are caught in a God story, whether we know it or not. Uh, this past year was, was one, of the, one of the wettest years I, I, can, I, I remember in, in our past five years. This was such a wet year. I mean, we have our wet season, we have our dry season, but this past year it was all wet. It, it rained every single day. Uh, it, it rained. Now, in our village, in our village there are children. I mean, there are children just running everywhere without father, uh, fatherless, orphan children all over our village. They may have fathers, but the fathers have not taken responsibility for them. They are everywhere. There is a little church in our village, a small little church. You see, God is not doing his work just through us. At the same time, he raised up a local church, and we work through that local church. God's plan is to bring these people to salvation. He has opened up the door at this time for his purposes. And so we work through this little church. It's just a small church of six people. Um, none of the refugee people go to this church, but people who've come from outside tribes working at the government school and at the safari camps. Uh, my wife and I and our three kids, we make, we make a, a, a show of when, we, of when we go to the church, we pass through the center of the village, we wish everybody a good Sunday, and we park our big land cruiser, our big safari land cruiser, right outside of that church that everybody may know where the bakers are Sunday morning. Uh, and all the children gather around the church because they are so fascinated by our little kids, our little white kids. You know, they want to touch them, they want to poke them, they want to pull their hair. You know, what? Why are they the way they are? I want to find out. But they will not go inside the church. The reason they will not go inside the church is because their parents, the Rafiji parents, have said, do not dare set foot inside of that church. For, for a group of children, a mass of children, a Lord of the Flies sort of situation, where they have absolutely no rules, for some reason they have one rule. Do not set foot inside the church. And they follow it. Why? Why? Because they are people who fear demons. They are people who are aware of spiritual activity. And they don't know what kind of spiritual activity is happening inside the church. And they're terrified to find out. If only they knew the church is not the building. It's the people. But we saw a need to start a, a children's ministry in this village. And we surely couldn't host it inside the church. Uh, there was a small, well, a big, you know, medium-sized tree, let's say. Uh, outside of our, our church, big thorns, five-inch thorns uh, on this tree. I mean, everything in Africa has thorns. Everything bites. And, and so me and some of the men of the church, we cleared out under this tree all these big thorns. And that Sunday, uh, we hosted our first ch children's Sunday school under that tree. Uh, there were about seven uh, local kids and three of my kids. So ten in total at that first Sunday school. Months later... There were over 100 kids from the village attending this Sunday school, hearing the truth of Jesus Christ and taking this truth back into their homes. Yeah, very exciting. But I, I tell you this story, not just to give, well, absolutely to give glory to God, but to give more glory to God by what I'm going to tell you next. You see... I told you that this, this was a wet season. I mean, this was the wettest year we could possibly remember. But I turned to Sarah, I turned to my wife, and I said, was there a single Sunday school morning that we missed due to rain? 
And she turned to me and said, no, we haven't missed a single morning with those children. I mean, surely that tree was not sufficient to hold up the rain. It would have canceled Sunday school that morning. It would rain before the Sunday school. It would rain after the Sunday school. But in that little hour window, it did not rain for months and months until we finally pulled together the funds and built a roof outside of the church. No walls, so it's not a building. Just a roof that these children could meet and the Sunday school would continue indefinitely. I wonder, I wonder if the children of Israel, if the children of Israel, as they were passing through the Red Sea, God's invisible hand holding up the water on this side, God's invisible hand holding up the water on that side, I wonder, as they were passing on dry land, if they realized that they were caught in the middle of a God story. Do we know? Do we know the great author and perfecter that is writing our story? Do we know that we are caught in the middle of a God story right now? He is continuing to write his story as God's invisible hand held up the water in the middle of the Rafiji so that we could have that Sunday school in that one hour window every Sunday. Do we know that we are caught in the middle of a God story? Why do we do what we do? Because we are caught in a God story, whether we know it or not. Point number three. Uh, turn with me to the book of 1 Kings. First Kings chapter 19. There he came to a cave, Elijah, lodged in him. Behold, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I, am left, and they seek to take my life to take it away. God said to him, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice and said to him, What are you doing here? Elijah. Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Verse 18. How does God respond? What you don't know, Elijah, yet I have reserved for myself 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. What you don't know, Elijah, is that you are not alone. And I have reserved 7,000 for myself. Why do we do what we do? Because we don't know whom God has reserved for himself. Yet it is a privilege to be at the front lines and see as he awakens those hearts that are his. Uh, we do much work, as I said, much construction. Uh, sometimes we have uh, disgruntled, disgruntled workers. Uh, it happens even in Tanzania. And, and we had uh, one local worker who, whose name is uh, Odinga. Now, you don't say Odinga on our property anymore. That's uh, a word that you just keep to yourself. Odinga, Odinga. 
But we had a, a worker whose name is Odenga. And he, is, he was a disgruntled worker. He was not happy. He's a carpenter. And he said, I, that's it. I'm not going to finish my contract, but you're going to pay me everything that, that we agreed upon. I said, Odenga, no. You must finish your work. And we will pay you everything. Of course. No, I'm leaving right now. And he went to the local police station in our village. And he filed a, fa a false report saying, they're, they're mistreating me. They, they are refusing to pay me my salary, my wage. And... Uh, you know, in Canada, you'd say, well, that's not a big deal. You can reason with it. You can give the contract. You can show. But, but in Africa, this is a big deal. And, and Odinga, obviously, he spoke with the police officer, uh, and they had uh, some type of agreement. Whatever Odinga would receive, the police officer would receive a little portion of that as well. This was a big deal. And so I, I, I sent, um, I sent my, my staff member, Moses. Uh, Moses, he's a young Christian Maasai super naive, without guile. And he said, don't worry, Mr. Boss, don't worry. I will go. I will explain everything to the police officer. Justice will be served in Tanzania. You will see. And so he left for the police station. I called him a half an hour later. And I said, Moses, why have you not returned? He said, oh, I am so sorry, but, but I am now in prison. <laughs> well, Moses, okay. And you must pay the full amount or they will keep me in jail. And the full amount was 100,000 shillings. 100,000 shillings. Uh, we didn't have a shilling at the camp. In the bush, there's no ATM, there's no bank. You bring in what, what you have and when it runs out, there is no more. I was looking, turning over mattresses, trying to find some money, trying to find a single shilling that we could get Moses out of jail. Uh, now there was another worker whose name is Amos. Now, Amos has been with us since the beginning. He has heard the word of God countless times, and the word of God never returns void. He heard the situation, uh, and, and what he did quietly is he, he called his wife in the big city, Dar es Salaam, the capital of Tanzania, and he said, empty our savings. Empty out all of our savings. Uh, send it to me. You can send money through phone. Send it to me on my phone here in the village. I will, I will redeem it. I will get it. And this is what he did. They emptied out all their savings until he had 100,000 shillings. He came up to me and just humbly he presented and said, here, I have the money to get Moses out of jail and to take care of this contract. Now this is not the way it goes. This is not the way it goes in Africa. This, this, this floored, this floored Sarah and I. It moved us. We, we, we took the money. Everybody piled into the Land Cruiser. Everybody wanted to go and see Moses get freed from jail. We took the money. We threw it at the police officer. Moses, get out of jail. He ran out of jail. And we were like champions driving, you know, too many people in the Land Cruiser, stuffed with all the guys, laughing and full of joy all the way back to the camp. But God was doing a work. God was doing a work in Amos' life. In Amos and his wife's life, Count, so countercultural to Tanzania were their actions. Yet we don't know whom God has reserved for himself, but we get to see little glimpses of it. And we see as God awakens his people. Well, months later, Amos, uh, Amos rejoined us for, for another work contract, and, uh, and we had a baptism. And Amos and Amos' wife were among the first seven that were baptized in the refugi. Why do we do what we do? Because we don't know whom God has reserved for himself. And it is a privilege to find out who and to serve him in this.
Turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each of you. I planted, says Paul, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Why do we do what we do in the Rafiji in East Africa and to the ends of the earth? Because I watered. I planted. Apollos watered. But God gives the growth. Amen? Uh, as I said, this past year, what, what, a, what an exciting year. What a, what a, a privilege to be a part of. Uh, we had uh, our first uh, baptisms. Now, this, this property that we have, uh, it, it, uh, it was an old safari camp. A, a German fellow owned it, uh, and he was a hard-working man. He built a safari, safari camp, and he called it Ndoto Kidogo, which means in the local tongue, my little dream, my little dream. He, he built it up. He, he worked very hard, but he all, often worked in tension against the village, which is no surprise. This is a very corrupt country within a village that openly dances to Satan. And is not ashamed of it. Of course, a hardworking man is going to work in tension against that. So he worked for many years in tension until, until finally he snapped. He snapped. He couldn't take any more of it. And he, and he put gasoline all over his little dream, threw a match on it, and he jumped in his Land Cruiser and he watched the big bonfire in his rearview mirror. And, and he burnt his little dream to the ground. But Africa has a short memory. It recovered. The jungle grew over it. Uh, and then we got the land. It was just foundations and, and, and burnt, uh, burnt bricks left. But while, while this German had this piece of property, he wanted to attract the elephants to his property. And so he dug a hole. He dug a big hole in his property. He, he plastered it with cement. And he filled it up with water. And year after year, the elephants would return to this water hole to drink. And the tourists would see this and then take delight in it. But after he burned his little dream, everything went to the ground. The, the water hole, it filled up with debris. It filled up with dirt. It was forgotten. Until this past year, we had a baptism. Six people were to be baptized. Six of our workers who sat under the word of God. And we said, where are we going to baptize them? I suggested the Rafiji River. I said, let's, let's baptize them in the Rafiji River. And they said, but don't you know there are crocodiles and hippos in the Rafiji River? And I said, yes, I know. Just baptize them very quickly. God is not safe, but he is good. <laughs> but they didn't go for that. <laughs> so then my second idea, I said, what about, that, what about that old water hole? What about that old elephant water hole? And so the, the guys who were to be baptized, and the girl, Amos' his wife, they were the ones... That, that cleaned up, that, that shoveled out all the debris from this water hole, and they prepared the place where they were to be baptized. I mean, that would preach on itself. That, that could preach a whole message by itself. So six of them stood that morning around this water hole, 
ready to be baptized. And many of the people of the village, they pass by because, you see, our property is right along the line of, of where the river goes, where the villagers go to get water from the river. And so they were passing, and they were looking through the, through the jungle, and they, they were watching this thing happen, and all the trees were cleared out. What a sunny day. The light of Christ was shining down on this water hole. So different, so different from the rituals that they do, have done for years, have done for decades in this village as they dress up in black and they play drums and they dance out in the open to Satan and to the demons. What a different thing they were watching this day. Six were to be baptized. And then there was a seventh standing with the, these six. And I turned to people and I said, who is this seventh? I don't recognize him. I don't know him. Who is this seventh to be baptized? We, uh, we invited a church, uh, just a small group of believers from another refugee village. God has given us favor in our original village, so much so that other villages are sending the call and saying, come and do what you did in your original village. And so we have, we have moved now to our second village, a village called Ungorongo, from our original village, Umloka, where the work continues. And so we invited this small group of believers from Ungorongo to come to this baptism and to be a part as the church comes together. You see, one of the new believers from the Rafiji saw this baptism happening, knew it was going to happen, and he turned to his pastor and he said, what prevents me from being baptized today? The word of God is alive and active, and it happens, it continues. History repeats itself. What prevents me from being baptized today? And so seven were baptized. The first baptism that I know of in the once unreached Rafiji. Why do we do what we do? Because I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. The final point of why, why we do what we do. Turn with me to the book of Joshua. With this we close. Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. Bring them over with you. Lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone on your shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you of the miracle that has just happened. When your children ask you in a time to come, what do these stones mean, Dad? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Why do we do what we do? Why do my, my wife and I, why do we do what we do? Because the eyes of my little ones are watching. My Lukumai, my Bowen, my Ruby May. And I want them to find their parents faithful. 
I want God to find us faithful. I want my children to know the God who we serve. I want them to know my Father. I don't know how many days we have. I have today. I have this very moment as I stand in front of you. And I place before you these stones for posterity to be a memorial forever. I don't know what God is going to do with me tomorrow. But I know that I have this opportunity before you today. That I would not waste it. That I would build up these stones. Because I love my little children. God is not safe. But he is good. That my children might ask, what do these stones mean? These stones mean that your mom and dad, they loved God. They served him with all their hearts. And he loves them. He loves you. That my children might know the God that we serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God bless you today. And let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity. It's a privilege to stand before your people, to place these stones before them. These are your people. I thank you for the baptism this morning. I thank you for that powerful testimony. Jesus is Lord. You are Lord God. You love us. You are Father. And you have a Son. May you go before us and teach us what we ought to do in light of what we have heard today. In your name we pray. Amen. Graydon, thank you for your passionate challenge to us today. Why do we do what we do? Did Jesus not do that for us? And we are Christians. We are Christ followers. Therefore, we should commit ourselves to following the pattern that Jesus set for us. And he has promised us the gift of his Holy Spirit. He has given us everything we need for godliness and for true living. And so I would encourage you this morning, as Graydon has challenged, he's unashamedly said he is recruiting. He is recruiting. And you know right now, if you're in this room, if the Holy Spirit is tapping you on the heart. 13 years ago on a Sunday morning, sitting underneath the back there at a missions conference, I knew the Lord was tapping me on my heart. And that day I said, okay, Lord, I, I'll give up the fight. And it has been an incredible journey. It's not safe, but God is good. And his promises are good. And so I would just encourage you, you will know if the Lord is tapping you on the heart. And if he is, I would encourage you to get your children. Come back. Watch the rest of the video. Talk to Graydon and Sarah. And trust the Lord. You know, there's that old chorus that says, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Father, I pray that you would help us to live out that course every day of our life. Thank you, Jesus, that you set the example for us. And so, Lord, as people who have been saved by your grace and through your mercy, God, I pray that we too would follow your example and we would trust and obey you. Thank you for Graydon and Sarah. Thank you for your word this morning. I pray, God, that it will change how we view what we do this week in our homes, in our workplaces, whether we're here at the church or in the grocery store, I pray that we would always remember why we do what we do. There's such a greater purpose for the hours and the days that you give us. Help us to fulfill that through the strength of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.